Are you ready to take action to attain the lifestyle of your dreams? It's a great way to make a lot of money fast, fast, fast. Hey, what's going on, Clever Investors? Welcome back to the Clever Investor Show. I'm your lucky host, Cody Sperber, the OG Clever Investor. We're on the move, baby, Let's in go. the Move Studios here in Miami yes, with my sir. good friend, Andrew Loringer. And uh, look, bro. This place is fire. Every time I, I come here, I record in your studio. I so, know, man. I so appreciate, appreciate you're my You're my co-host of the show today. Thank you, man. Yeah. I'm yeah. happy to be on set. Yeah. For those of you that don't know Andrew, he's a, he's a beast in the mortgage business for many, many years. You've done, I don't even know how it's many. almost 10. Yeah. 10 bill, billion? Oh, no. I've how done many, $1 billion. $1 billion worth of mortgages. Of been doing it for a decade now. Yeah. And, uh, but then recently got into, you know, videography and building out this really sick recording studio in Miami, which happens to be the hottest podcast recording studio in the entire town. It is. He's had Rick Ross here. Yeah. Got some NBA guys here. Lots of them. Who else? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've had Theo Vaughn, Sexy Red, um, a plethora of NBA players. I mean, we've had a bunch of Heat players in here. Uh, Rick Ross. We've got some special guests coming next week, which I cannot say yet because I'm on an NDA until the episode drops. Okay. But um, dude, it's been like phenomenal. First of all, I want to give you a huge shout out and a mass appreciation and thank you because um, honestly, I probably wouldn't pursue this had it not been for you. We kicked it off, baby. <laughs> yeah. We so you and JJ kept pushing me like you were like, you guys, you got to do this. You got to do this. You got to do this. You and Wes Watson were my first guests. Isn't that crazy? And that, that episode was fire. It was fire. If you haven't listened to that episode of the Clever Investor Show with Wes Watson, it's the second interview I've done with him. And he just kind of went off and it yeah. was kind of fun to watch him go great. off. It was yeah. great. That was my first experience interacting with him. And I mean, because of that, I was like, oh shit, this place could actually rent. And you were like, yeah, you're an idiot if you don't pursue this. You want to know how cool Andrew was when he was first starting? He's like, he sets this whole thing up and he's got like tens of thousands of dollars worth of equipment. Like he spent a lot of money to build the studio out. And he, uh, he was like, oh, I'll let you, yeah, yeah. I was like, hey, can I, can I rent the studio? He's like, oh, you don't got to pay me. You can just, I'm like, bro, you're not understanding. You don't see the vision clear enough yet. You got to charge me. And I was like, what do you mean charge? Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> you got to send me an invoice. He's like, I don't even have an invoice system. And I'm like, make an invoice. I think that was your first yeah, invoice. Was, you were, yeah, that was my first invoice. You were invoice number 0001. There you go. Well, you know, and now it's a, now it's a business. And, and I think we've done over 170 invoices since then. Damn. In like, what, five months? A couple thousand <laughs> bucks a day. Next thing you know, this recording studio is yeah, popping. Man. So congrats on all your success. Thank you, bro. Um, so, to, you know, this is a real estate show, but today we're going to be weaving in and out of some real estate mindset. Uh, you know, the, the market's crazy right now. I'm super excited. It's 2024. Yep. Things are good out there. Uh, if you guys have been following me on social, we we bought a couple banks, yep. which has been really Dude, interesting. tell me about that, by For, the way. I I'm, saw the... I saw the post. I'm learning. You know, it's it's an evolution, just like you. It's an evolution, right? Yeah. It's like uh, we we just closed on a house. We built three big, humongous houses right across the street from the Valley Ho in Scottsdale, Arizona, which is a really nice area, up and coming. These are huge squares. You've seen them on social media. Yeah, They're yeah. beautiful. Huge. They're contemporary. They look like they'd be in like California or something like that. We built these houses. One, we made like after two years of building, we made like, I don't know, 90 grand or some amount on. The other one we broke even on, one we made like 200 grand on. That's great. No, think about it. Each one of those cost millions of dollars to build. Wait, how long was the construction process? Over, way over time, way over budget, way over everything. It was our first round of two stories that we built. 
We had to learn how to build two-story houses. We built pretty much the same floor plan modified three times. And to make 290 grand after 20 months, 21 months, is a horrible return. Now, if you're looking at it from the eyes of, you learned. I was going to school to learn how to build a two-story. We built dozens and dozens and dozens of profitable one-stories. Yeah. We got an idea that we wanted to build some two-stories. We had to learn how to actually do that in a new area of Scottsdale. And by the way, one of the reasons we got screwed on these Scottsdale new builds is the we had an issue with some plumbing or uh, landscaping or something on one of the new builds, one of these three houses. The city inspector was up in arms about something. They then got a hold of us and said, hey, you got to fix this thing over by the curbing in the street. We said, no problem. Then they looked into us and said, well, who's Green Elephant Development? How many other properties do they have? And they realized like we had, we had built like 20 something houses in Scottsdale in just the last 12 months, 14 months. Wow. We didn't know that there's something out there called a speculative—it's hard, hard to say—speculative builders tax, which is essentially like a—I I don't know the exact percentage, like a one or two, two and a half percent tax, one and a half percent tax. After how many homes? On every property you build as a new build. So if you were spec building a house in your city, you better look up: is there any tax consequence to building new? If we would have left one wall up it would have not been considered a new build and we would have not have triggered the speculative builder's here. tax. This tax on a, th and they tax you on the value of the property where you sold it at. Oh. So if we sold every house at $3 million, $3.1 million, we have a one and a half percent tax on every house that we built, like 25 houses. They hit us with like a $198,000 tax bill out of nowhere yeah. because they went back and said, how many properties has GED built? They found every house we built and taxed us for all of them. We got our attorneys involved That's and all crazy. this. So how do we you thought we were going to make a lot more profit on these, but yeah. then it ended up having like whatever, a $30,000, $40,000 tax on every house. Dude, that's crazy. Had you known that, would you have passed it off onto the buyer? One million percent, yeah. dude. One million percent. Wow. How do you make a decision on how to sell if you don't have all the information? Wow. But whose fault is it? Dang. It's my fault. Dang. We're the owner of the business. We're the real estate investor. We're the professional builders. How do we not know before we even bought the houses. Was this the first project that you had done in that city? No, we we had done tons of rehabs in that city and never had it. But it was the first issue. new construction. We were building right. So Scottsdale's kind of funny. Scottsdale is up against the Phoenix border and the Scottsdale border, and there's like a sometimes you have like a Scottsdale address, but you're pulling permits in the city of Phoenix. It's kind of wonky. In Phoenix, they don't have this, and we had built most of our houses in the Phoenix zip codes in Phoenix market. But because we shifted over eight blocks and we are now in Scottsdale, all of a sudden now it applied. But we had built so many so quickly all in the same one and a half year period that by the time they all had sold and we calculated our profits and made our distributions and paid off our lenders and private wow. lenders and everybody took their money, then now it's a long time later, we get caught and they're going back in time two years, That's three crazy. years on all the houses oh, we ever man. built in there. So we- And you're leveraging financing on all these properties? 
Yeah, of course, yeah. dude. You okay. can't build. We built uh, whatever twenty-seven houses last yeah. year all at once. These are all two two point eight to three point five million dollar houses. We're floating at our peak when we have like twenty going at once. We were floating like forty fifty million dollars. Very risky, very scary. Uh, but we were supposed to make, you know, between 300 to 550 grand per house. Mm -hmm. So if you think when you start this process, I have a great brand. I was raising tons of money. I was putting up all our own money. The market had 3% interest rates. It was going straight up like this every month after month. The appraisals were, you know, you know, yeah, of course. every time you would get an appraisal a month later, it was it's worth, worth more. Yeah. 20 grand more, 50 grand more, hundred grand more. So we were just kind of on this rocket ship thinking, not a big deal, dude. We'll buy 20, go hard, get and and of course, when there's three of us, there's Garrett, who is our builder, Bryant, who's the realtor, and me, who's kind of the the overall, you know, money raiser and glue that holds everything together. We're all sitting there making decisions together, going, one, first, we didn't know about the builder tax. Two, we thought the market was phenomenal and it was going to continue to be phenomenal at least based on Garrett's estimations of, I can build this in 14 months or less. Yeah. Okay. That means we'll add a month or two on, like we'll go to 15 or 16 months and we'll, we'll backwards. That'll be our pad or like, oh shit, you know? Yeah. Pad. What caused the delay to go from 14 to 24? Permitting. It was mainly okay. Permitting. So imagine this: you you go to the city. We're we're permitting well, that's in a Phoenix. Major issue here. We're we're permitting in Phoenix, and we're building the same like six floor plans over and over and over yeah. and over and over with just modifications per the the lot requirements. But we got good at building a couple floor plans. Then we go to two stories. We got to get all new engineering, all new plans, all new all this. Plus, we shifted over to Scottsdale. Now we're going through the Scottsdale permitting process. Totally different than the Phoenix permitting process, and it's taking. By the time we did all the revisions, because what they do is they redline your plans, right? You you submit your plans and all the all the engineering and everything, and then they come back and they they just say no, 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 no. They don't say no, but do this. They just say no. So then you got to look at it and go, okay, well, what do we need to change here? And then you go back to your architect and all your team and say they said no on this window being here or this lot line is too far over. Like we got to move the, the side of the house or whatever. And then it takes a couple weeks for them to make the changes. Then we go back and we submit again. And you know what they do? Instead of 30 no's, there's like six no's. And then you go back to your team and oh you do it again. Gosh, you man. lose like three, four, five, six months just going through the permitting process, trying to and you learn. you haven't even started the project yet. We haven't even started oh. the project, but we're paying hard money. Of we're course. paying private money. We have our money tied up. It becomes a shit show. The point of all of this and the reason I'm dragging this out is we knew we were playing in a game that was risky, that even though it felt like we were making big profit margins, it wasn't the real game yet yeah. because it's still in single family. And as much as I love the single family business, I should have gotten into commercial a lot sooner. Because the same amount of time it's going to take us to build one house that may make zero, may make 90 grand, may might make 550 grand. I could do one commercial project, same amount of energy and make 2 million, 3 million. So why would I ever want, as a veteran in this business, want to mess around with houses? So starting right about a year and a half ago when the market was just starting to like pull back, I... We did a little team huddle and we just said, we, it's time. We need to fully shift out of single family. Now, we're not going to fully get out, but 
we need to not make this our main business model. Yeah. We need to get over into commercial. And so we started on this process of trying to think like, what type of commercial do we want to do as a developer? And we really want to focus on like the single tenant, triple net lease business. And we want to figure out how to, how we were already good at, you know, the permitting process and all that. So it's like, all right, let's really get good at how to entitle a piece of dirt, change its usage and get it ready to put a single tenant, triple net lease type of and what type of structure do those look like mainly? What are you focused on? Um, they, they could be shopping centers. They could be just buildings like medical buildings. It could be a, uh, it could be a medical building. It could be a, a drive-through, quick service restaurant type thing. It could be a car wash. It could be a gas station. And so we started looking around at our resources that we had. We we had a lot of resources in the gas business. Um, we knew some of the big commercial real estate agents that helped a lot of the, like, the gas stations get placed in town. We loved the car wash business. It's a highly profitable business. They love they you know they need they need yeah. even high here. traffic land. Uh, they will, they will tell us ahead of time. Yes, we'll, we would want a car wash there in this area. So before we even make an offer on the land, we already know like, Hey, they want something in this area. If we can go through the entitlement process and get it prepared for them, they'll buy it from us as soon as the, the entitlements are wow. done. And so we, we started working on that. We also started working on banks because banks have very high traffic density around them. And we knew that if we can get in the good old boys network with the banking commercial agents that sell all of the old banks, we knew that we would be able to have a lot of operators and, and businesses on the back end that would want that location. Yeah. And so we got our first two banks awarded to us after like 15 tries. Wow! In order to do that, we had to go partner with a billionaire out of Texas. And the guy had like $900 million um, in cash. And uh, was worth billions on paper. What is this like an oil guy? Nah, yeah, or, yeah. Actually, okay. he was oh, in the oil he? business, but he sold some things. He okay. sold some companies and made a lot of money. So anyway, that came through just networking and another relationship. And but it's an expensive relationship. The guy takes half of everything that we do. Wow. But his attorneys and his team vet our projects, and as soon as they say yes, the money is guaranteed. Wow. So for us. We needed one to plug into the good old boy banking network. Two, we had to get our financing so dialed in so that way we can move on the, these things very quickly and we can show proof of funds that there was no doubt we weren't going to be able to perform. And it's a bidding process. When you go to get a bank, it's not like you just go build a relationship with a commercial agent and say, hey, here's my offer. Get me the deal. Everybody submits, there's a bidding process. They look at the financing. They say, okay, these guys are paying cash. The bank, one of the banks we just bought was a little over two and a half million dollars. It's actually two, it's a, it's a bank. And then there's a massive parking lot next to the bank on one of our banks. And that parking lot is, our plan is to take the bank and we have three different exit strategies we can do when you buy a bank. Exit strategy number one is we retrofit the existing structure of the bank and we convert it to something else that can be used bank-like. Meaning when you buy a bank, they put certain stipulations in the purchase and sale agreement that say you can't just convert it to another one of our competitive banks. Sure. So I can't like buy a Bank of America and turn it into Wells Fargo. Sure. They don't want that. But I can convert it to another financial institution that's kind of like a credit union or something local 
that's a financial institution that needs drive-throughs and stuff. Okay. And so banks obviously have very strong balance sheets and they make great high paying tenants. So we can take the existing bank, go find another type of financial institution and put them in there on a long-term lease. They're a triple A rated credit tenant, do a triple net lease with them. So they pay everything. You know what triple net means, right? They they pay everything, but there's going to be a lot of capital we'll have to put in. Not only will will we have to pay two and a half million dollars to buy the bank, but then we're going to have to probably put another half a million or maybe into a million in to renovate yeah. the bank to get it to where it's a long-term viable product for the tenant. At the same time we do that, we have this big parking lot over there that we can start to re-entitle and get it ready to be used for maybe a drive-through coffee shop. Or something like that, because the part, the 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 footprint of the, um, uh, the, lot. the the lot is big enough to where we can actually have two structures there. Right now, it's just one structure in a parking lot, but we can get that entitled. Once it's entitled, even though that might cost us one hundred fifty grand to work with the city to get that entitled, then we can just sell that entitled piece of lot so off. So you can split the lot, split the lot, okay. and sell that off to this like you know one of these smaller drive-throughs. In, do you guys have salad and go out here? Mm-mm. It's like a drive-through salad place. A lot of these little small coffee shops, they have a drive-through. Yeah. Something like that. And between the two parcels, we would make about two to $3 million flipping the whole thing. So essentially retrofit, turn that into a high paying tenant. Commercial is all based, the, it, you, the value of the commercial land is all based on capital. Cash flow. Cash flow, yeah. cap rate. And so if we get good cap, uh, good cash flow coming in from this bank and we retrofit this other thing and we sell that off, somebody would then come and buy the bank out from underneath us if we didn't want to continue just to collect the yeah. rents based on the cap rate and that increased value would be really good. So that's option one. Option two is we uh, tear down the entire bank entitle the whole entire thing, the parking lot and the old bank into one new massive potential structure. Because it sits right on a main road and there's 100,000 cars that go by, once we go through that whole process, which, which would take like, you know, 18 to 20 months to get everything done, on the other end of that, somebody who has like a massive car wash can come in, buy the whole thing, we'll scrape the bank and we'll, tr- we'll build a car wash there. And then turn it over to the car wash people. On a lease or just sell? Straight sell? Well, we can just straight sell it or we can land lease it. You know, we can can do a land lease with them. Well, that's great. So there's lots of options. My mind initially went to almost like a Patrick Bet David move where you're like repurposing the bank for content because my mind's so revolved in content right now. (laughs) I'm like, dude, they're going to turn this into a vault. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and you know, it's funny. The second bank actually has a really dope vault. Yeah. And I'm thinking about taking that vault door and putting it and making it as my office door. Dude, that's badass. So you have to walk, you have to have the accommodation to get in to my office. I don't know. I I think it's maybe too expensive to move. Yeah, I bet. Rip it out and then put all the infrastructure to be able to support. It would be cheaper to just build a fictitious vault door. (laughs) Probably, yeah. But that's awesome, man. So let me ask you, you do a lot. I mean, you're running and gunning. You're working on commercial deals, residential deals. You've got 
all of these different things happening also in your personal life, right? You've got your mm-hmm. kids and you've got your family and all these different components to you that really comprise like who Cody is. How do you manage everything at once? Because like in my life, I've got one or two little things that I'm working on and I'm like every day trying to fight burnout, right? That's what I'm currently dealing with is the lack of sleep and just busting my ass all the time. How are you juggling instead of one or two things? You're seven or eight things. So many of our listeners reach out and they ask us how they can get involved in my actual real estate deals. Our investment firm specializes in finding deeply discounted properties, acquiring them, renovating, stabilizing both single family and multifamily properties all over the United States. That's why we're so excited to share with you clevercapitalfund.com. Now, if you have some investment capital and you want to deploy it and receive double digit returns back by real estate, then visit our website and see which fund is right for you. We have both equity funds and we have debt funds where you just get paid out every month like clockwork. All you got to do is visit www.clevercapitalfund.com today to learn more. Yeah, because you're still on the, you're still a solopreneur. Yeah. You're a practitioner. I'm an entrepreneur. And I think the evolution is you hit this wall like you, like you're describing where you're like, God, I'm making good money. I'm really great at what I do. I'm building the brand. I'm building the energy. I got the momentum, but I'm, I can only work so many hours in the day and I'm dying. Like I'm, I'm hitting this, this wall where I'm just exhausted. You need to go up to manager. So, you know, if you, if you read E-Myth Revisited by, I think it's Michael Gerber. Have you ever read that book? Mm -mm. E-Myth Revisited? E-Myth Revisited. Okay. Even if you just Google like cliff notes or actually just go to chat GPT and put, give me the cliff notes of E-Myth Revisited. Okay. And it'll break down the main points, which is essentially think of this triangle where at the bottom is you, you're the solopreneur, you're the, you're the, you're the technician. You're like a plumber who got really good at plumbing and decided to go start a plumbing business only to realize that he's got a job of his, he's, he's his own boss in this job that he has. And he's miserable. He thought he was miserable, like working for somebody else. Now he's just miserable working for himself and it's, it's better, but it's still hard. Yeah. Then the next level up is you start hiring people underneath you. You start delegating, automating, systematizing, deleting. You do all these things in order to level up to manager status. Manager status takes about, you know, a year, year and a half, two years to master. And once you get really good at the leadership position, then eventually you shift up to entrepreneur. And entrepreneur, the hard part about entrepreneur is now you're scaling a big team. And you're really, you have managers running the day-to-day operation. You're not in the day-to-day any longer. So like in my wholesaling business, I'm not in the day-to-day at all. At all. They bring me in as needed to be eye candy on videos or they bring me in as needed to meet with somebody that could be a really big deal for us, but they need the credibility for the Cody Sperber to show up right? Other than the meetings, the weekly meetings where we have the huddle and they go, this is, and I go, what are, what are we working on? How are we doing? What are we struggling with? What resources do you need? What's going really well? What's really sucking? How's our marketing going? What do you need to see from me? And they'll literally have a list like, Cody, we need you to go live three times. We need you to raise $400,000 in private capital. We need you to introduce us to this big dog because we need a connection in that state. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay, I they're leveraging me. But other than that, I don't know what phone calls they make. I, I don't know any of the details of the transactions that we do. Sometimes I wake up and we've done like six or seven deals I've never even heard of. And there's just money in the bank account. And it's That's cool, great. right? Yeah. 
but that's because I got managers managing the frontline team that's handling it all. Sure. That's what you need. Yeah. You just need to shift your psychology just that one degree over to realizing that you're not the best person for the day-to-day -day job of what we're doing here. Exactly. Yeah, and I, I think that I was just on the call this morning um, with someone who's really interested in the space. And they're like, oh, I need you. They want to hire me as a consultant to go help them build one of these in Las Vegas. And so I'm like, okay, well, the number one thing that you're going to find, which I'm finding now, is that to find somebody to run the set and set up all the lights and make sure that everything's dialed in is often difficult. You're either going to pay a lot for somebody and they're going to do great work, or you're going to pay a little bit and they're going to mess up. Right. So I'm like, you may find difficulty finding. And he's like, oh, that's not a problem at all. He was like, you're the best at it. And I was like, I'm pretty fucking good. And he was like, so you're going to create a course and we're going to train anybody that comes on. They have to go through our course. That's fine. And then we'll sell it. And then we're basically, so he, mm. he was coming up with all these options. Yeah. Right. And so I'm like, man, there's so many different avenues that I've never even thought of that of opportunities and different ways. And I'm like, really, I think where my primary my thing that I'm working on right now is from a leadership standpoint is building that ability to train, to lead, and then to trust that they're going to take it over. And what you'll discover is that somebody is significantly better than you. You think you're the best at putting the light on the wall in that space <laughs> and clicking the button to turn on the thing and have it perfectly focused yeah. here. You're not. Your, your job as an entrepreneur is to is, find somebody better. Well, yes, you need to, you need to document in detail, build the training infrastructure, the SOPs and, and the standards, hire other people to do that, pay them really well. Don't be a cheap ass, yeah. pay them really well, hold them accountable to the standards, like fire slow, uh, higher, slow, fire, fire fast. fast. Like yeah. that's kind of the energy. Yeah. And grow and elevate. So you, if you know how to set this up right away, when he said Vegas, you should have said, okay, I'll make you a deal. You make me a 25% partner in the business and all the future revenues, and I'll help you set up your operation there. And I would have consulted my way for ownership because you aren't solely dependent on the, the, the consulting fee, the income, right? The second to survive. Yeah. You got to think bigger. You got to think like, okay, I need to scale this and I need to get one in every city. Exactly. And I need to have a 25 to 35% ownership in every single one around town. And I'm going to just like, uh, if you've ever, like what the guy said, if I want to set up a podcasting studio in my house, there's podcasting courses that say, buy this equipment, go here, get this lighting, get this microphone. And then here's the structure of a podcast and here's how to edit the podcast and here's how to syndicate the podcast and here's how to cut podcasts into small pieces so that way you can put put out marketing for the podcast. And it's like a whole course, right? Yeah. If you took the time to do all that, but just for your own business, you'd be able to set up one of these in every city, have 25 to 30% ownership all over the place. And it's it's not really a franchise because you're an owner in it, right? You're not... You're, you're, you're yeah. just creating the model and finding partners all over the place. That's huge. Dude, one day you could wake up and you can be like, yeah, I, I am the owner of 200 podcasting studios. Yeah. And somebody else will put up all the money. They'll do all of the work and you're just going to be the puppeteer of the whole thing. That's great. That'd be pretty that. dope, right? Yeah, I love that. Yeah. I love that. Damn. Yeah. Well, that's great, man. Dude, I, um, that's why I love talking to you. 
because um, there's so much wisdom behind what you've done and what you're constantly pursuing. Um, so I definitely love that. And then, like I said in the very beginning, you were really the conduit that first made me want to jump into this and make it into what it is now. So I definitely appreciate one of my that. talents. <laughs> it's it's a weird talent, but one of my talents is seeing talent. Hmm. I, I, the second I met you, I knew he's got the it, the drive, the discipline, the focus, the good character, the integrity, the heart, you know, the hard work, all of that. And so, and, and, and when I get that read, then I put the energy in like that. And I was like, oh, he's going to actually do something with yeah. this information. And I didn't have to tell you much. <laughs> I love people that can take a small, and I'm like this, I take a small amount of information, I can run. Yeah. But I just need that little nudge. That it's little like, like you just need permission. In a weird way, I need the th thoughts that I have jumbled in my head, just like the, 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 hey, narrowed. you're on the right track. Or you, you're thinking like this, what about this one degree over, over here? And that's like, Oh yeah, that makes sense to me. I'm going to go do that. That's huge. And I bet you within, I don't know, a couple months, I'm going to hear from you and you're going to go, bro, I turned that consulting thing into ownership and I now own 30% of their podcasting thing in Vegas or wherever it is. Because it's an easy win for you and you can test the model and see if you like it and see how the partnership goes. And then now, once you start elevating to that status, all you're working on is your leadership skills, communication and leadership. Yeah. Because that's really what we do as entrepreneurs is enroll everybody. Yeah, that's it. That's your job. Oh, we enroll everyone in the vision. I mean, the the few people that we have working here right now, they already see the vision and they're like, oh my God, I want to be a part of this. You yeah. know? And then it's it's different if I were to say, we're, we are Miami's top podcast studio. This is what I said when I had nobody in here. We are Miami's top podcast studio. We cater to influencers, celebrities, and top entrepreneurs. At that point in time, I had never had a single celebrity in here. I had like three people. Hey, what are you saying? <laughs> this was before you. Oh, shit. All right. Yeah. All right. I. This, you were my first big guest. There you go. Right? My second guest mm -hmm. after you that was big was Theo Vaughn and Sexy Red. Theo Vaughn is a huge comedian. And it was like- I love Theo Vaughn. Yeah. And so it was like, I think there's power in your words. If you doubt yourself and you say, oh, you know, we might be big or whatever, people see that and they're like- I don't really want to work for this guy. Like he doesn't even believe in his own vision. That's it. And then yeah. what's so cool is like, I didn't feel ready yet. I jumped in and uh, Jen was just here and uh, yeah. just a couple other people that I think we ran through like 12 podcasts the other between two days, the last two days. Um, and on every single podcast, the way that Jen started was she said, there's so much power in jumping into the fire before you're ready, before you have the resources, before you have the funding, before you have anything, just jumping into something. Because you're going to figure it out Think as you go. Think about the front row pass you have at some of the biggest thought leaders in the world. As the person running the podcasting studio, being right there, front row, feeling and hearing the wisdom and the energy. What's happening to you? The whole time that's happening, you're just like growing. Like in real time, you're just like, your brain is like... Dude, I've heard 150 of these things. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> like if I had the time to dedicate to learning from all yeah. these mentors and thought leaders and authors and, and mentors, I would be so much better. Wow. Right? And uh, I was listening to a podcast um, with Cat Williams, that, that one that went super viral. Yeah. Right? Have you seen that? I don't think I have. Oh, dude, you got to go listen Who's to he, um, uh, he was on the with. Shannon Sharp, um, okay. the Shay Shay no, I haven't seen that show. One. Go watch that podcast. First off, Cat Williams filleted a dozen comedians flawlessly. Like it was 
uh, watching a master at work. You know, when it was, I think he even said it, like the, the, when the king is the king and the king speaks, it's with clarity. There's no like, it wasn't like hurtful or he wasn't, he was just saying, this is the reality. This is the lies. This is what I experienced. This is, and he just filleted everybody. And it was cool to watch. But the point is he, he was telling a little bit about his childhood and he used to go to the library and read autobiographies. He's a voracious reader. And as he was saying that, I was like, God, I used to read a book a week, every single week wow. for years. And audiobooks were my favorite because I can, I can play them on like one and a half speed. Yeah. I've gotten away from doing that nearly as much as I used to because I just, I got busy. And then next thing you know, you, you, you just slowly stop doing that. I need to get back to that habit because when that was happening, I was learning so much from all these amazing authors. You're doing the exact same thing by just yeah. running the podcast studio. It's true. Yeah. yeah. And I, I'm guilty of like, I have all these books and I would say a quarter of them I haven't read because it's like, I, sometimes, like you said, it just gets busy. And if you don't have that discipline, it's like um, people ask me sometimes like, bro, um, I, I can't read the Bible every day or I can't read a page of the book every day. And I'm like, that's because you haven't built that discipline. Mm. I even struggle with that sometimes too. But I'll tell you one thing I won't miss. I will not miss going to the gym every day. I will always go to the gym because it's, an, it's become a non-negotiable. It's yeah. part of who I am. It's part of do my identity. Do you think the devil has something to do with why every time I read the Bible, I get sleepy? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> you ever do? I mean, I'm serious. Like, I really like, kind of like thinking well, let deeper me, into let me it. Ask like, you. Why, why is it the second, I can read a lot of books and be totally into it. I start reading the Bible and I'm immediately sleepy. Yeah. Well, let me ask you, do you have something in you that's like, I should be doing this? I should be doing this. You mean I, like a shame type of Not component? a shame, but do you, do you have almost like, because like, for instance, myself, I have this innate feeling in me, like I need to go do this. I need to read the Bible every morning. Mm -hmm. And then I don't do it or I'll go to do it and I'll get distracted or something will come up and I won't make time for it. And then I feel bad about it after or I'm like, shit. Interesting. Right? So yeah. I have this innate feeling like I know I need to do this, but I'm not doing it. And it's interesting because when I, when I do listen to that voice, regardless if it's reading the Bible or it's building the set or buying new cameras or, you know, any of the number of components that we have in here, I had this little voice, a little vision that told me like, oh, I should do that. And I took immediate action on it and I reaped some type of reward from it, right? And it's almost like we train ourselves in other areas. We train ourselves, for instance, in the gym, you're an avid, avid gym goer, yep. we went yesterday. And it's like, I have this feeling I need to go to the gym. And if I don't go, I feel like shit that day, right? Every time. So, but when you build up that momentum, you're like, oh man, and you reap the rewards. You see yourself getting more cut. You see your veins starting to pop, right? And it's like, we see it. It's easy to see from the gym because it's physical. It's not as easy to see when it's spiritual. It's not as easy to see when it's mental, right? You can't physically see it with your eyes, but there's something, there's some component that you feel. I've, I can say with confidence that in the times when I did get past that feeling of like, oh, I don't want to do it, and I actually did it, whether it have been for a week, whether it was for a month, I did reap significant benefits. They may not have been tangible, but it's like I made divine connections. I had people like Rick Ross in my studio. Like things that are unexplainable. It's like, how the hell yeah. did this happen? Yeah, yeah, right? Every time I do it, I, and, and as I'm reading, I always say, I have like a little mantra or prayer. I say to my, I, just, I just always say, I said, Lord, help me have spirit filled thoughts. 
that translate into spirit-filled actions. Mm. And I just keep saying that over and over. I just want to have great, clean, spirit-filled thoughts today that lead to spirit-filled actions. I don't even know what that means sometimes, right? But when I, whenever I do, I, and I have that little app on my phone, Jesus is calling oh, yeah, for when cool. I'm lazy yeah, and yeah. I don't actually read the Bible. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, give me something. Like, yeah, yeah. Just give me something. That's and, a great little book, actually. Yeah. And it's just, you know, little, little, little phrases and cheat codes really and stuff. prayers and stuff. And I've had a couple friends give me like some really great prayer books. It's a muscle. Like you got to, you got to build it. Really it really is. You got to work it. It is. But yeah, I mean. But I do get sleepy. No, it's I, like I, that's because you you didn't have your surge. Yeah, you <laughs> I need to do surge. surge and read the Bible. Is that what you're saying? You'll be like all antsy reading. I know the whole time. Oh man, I, we actually just took one before this podcast because I was fading, man. I haven't been sleeping. I've been grinding, and um, sometimes you're recording like till like what one uh, in the morning. I recorded editing, last night until midnight, and then it took me an hour to transfer all the footage. And uh, yeah, I went to bed at one, woke up this morning early and I had a call with an investor and it's been damn and then I have my mortgage business still too. Yeah, right. we got to get you we got to get you out of tactician over into manager. Yeah. So hey. I'm working on that. I I took six interviews yesterday for the tactical engineer role. Perfect. Right. And so we'll we'll hire somebody. My goal is to hire someone by the end of the month full time. Just remember you if you find somebody really good that might be a little out of your like current budget, but you pull the trigger on that, your whole business will elevate. Mm. You, you know, it'll, it's just like having a kid. You don't know why it happens, but you just level up. Sure. You're going to level up. So don't go for the cheapest person that might be the best looking or like, oh, that energy was good. No, find the most talented person. They could be a devil's advocate. No, that's a bad idea and kind of like check you. And sometimes we need that energy around us, especially if we're super entrepreneurial. We need that person that's like, no, 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 no. Have you thought about this? What about this? What about, and kind of like pull you back to reality where you go, well, okay, I, I get, you're protecting me in some weird way from moving too fast and making uncalculated moves or wow. mistakes. I always leveled up my business when I hired a little bit better CFO that I couldn't afford, a little bit better operations person that I couldn't Damn, afford. There's two people I have in mind, one for ops and one for the engineer role. And I'm like, man, this ops girl is fire. She's fire. Amazing. Okay. She's amazing. She's so good. She comes in, she works part-time for me. She'll come in at night and she'll bang out like eight hours worth of shit in 30 minutes. She's uh, indispensable. Insane. Insane. Yeah. She's so good. And lock, then I've got this one guy, right this guy. So every photo that you see online from the Rick Rock, Rick Ross episode that happened here was shot by my guy. Every one of them. They didn't even use a quarter. Actually, I don't even think they use 80% of the photos from any of the other shooters. They use everything from my boy. He's a killer behind the camera. And okay. the guy's got like a $15,000 camera. It's crazy. And I'm... <laughs> Lock him in. You know? Don't, so, don't, don't overthink that. Lock him in. Yeah. When you hire very talented people and you get them in alignment with your vision, what's great about the outcome of that is even if you like are like, God, my budget was really only 60K a year, 50K a year. Like I'm just not that big of a business yet. But you hire that 80K a year person and you're like kind of crapping your pants. If in three months they didn't perform to your expectation and really force you to level up and really like relieve all the stress and all the weight that gave you the free time now to go expand and do better marketing and find better space and elevate your game, you can always let them go. Yeah. But, but, you'll, but you will never experience that moment 
if you don't pull the trigger with them at the beginning. Because wow. if you hire the cheaper person, you're going to get the stress that yeah, comes with I know. it. I did that already. Every it time. Bad. It was bad. She wasted like three months of my time. That was horrible. It always happens. And and you you might even, you definitely need operators, but you might even need like a, 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 an executive assistant or something. Oh, that's, that's number one. Yeah. yeah Somebody that just does all the bookings, all the interactions, yeah, cleans up everything, like all the BS that you shouldn't even be touching at this moment that might not be technically like the baddest camera guy or the baddest editing guy, but just somebody yeah. that can just handle all Dude, the bullshit. Dude, I am so grateful for this conversation right now because you're giving me- <laughs> Free mentorship? You gave me, seriously, <laughs> this is crazy. I, you know what? I think there's a lot of people that- You know what's great about this mentorship? What? He's not going to pay me. He's going to send me a bill for studio time. This is what's no, so beautiful No, I'm not going to bill you for this. this, bro. This is on me. This yeah, is get on out me. of here with that shit. Send me the invoice. I do. I, I am more than happy to Dude. just share some thoughts because I think anybody listening that's trying to scale their business or they just started their business needs to be thinking like this yeah, anyway. Yeah, no, this is huge. You know, the thing is, um, I was always afraid to ask because I didn't want to be perceived as like an idiot, right? When I was younger, uh, even a couple of years ago when I got in the mortgage space and I would just try to figure this shit out on my own. And there were so many failures and so many different things that like were totally avoidable. So many mm -hmm. expenses that were avoidable too. Um, that was totally unnecessary had I just asked for help or had I been smart enough to say, hey, you know what the fuck you're doing. I have no idea. I will bring you this deal. Give me 10%. You take 90, but show me how to do it. Right? Yeah. And I think, especially in the real estate side, so many people, they're so either desperate or selfish or greedy that they're like, give me everything, but I'm not going to give you anything. Or I'll give you 10% and you show me everything. No, it's like, I, I have, um, I, I think you met Willie, right? Willie Numbers. Um, oh, I'd have to so, see him again. Yeah, good. So I like he, the name though. Yeah, great. Willie Numbers. Willie Numbers. So that's a good friend of mine out of Fort Lauderdale. And he's like, bring me the deal. And he was like, I, he's had people just bring him deals for wholesale, whatever, flips, et cetera. And uh, he's like, I'll, I'll show them the whole rope. I'll take yeah. you know, a bulk percent. Well, that's my do deals with me program. Right? Yeah. yeah. Very similar do, to what do you do. Dodealswithme.com. We're actually streaming live right now. So we were, we were sitting there thinking like, how do we kick off the new year with a bang, with a ton of energy and really get a lot of momentum, do a lot of deals with our students? We've been running this do deals with me program for two, three years now tons of success, have a lot of fun. It, a lot of times it's a student's first deal ever. Yeah. And the program is very simple. We give you some software. We give you some training. We have uh, some online training. We have ongoing weekly coaching calls. So that way you can ask questions. Dude, and great. we essentially put you to work with us. So it's not like mentorship. I'm not going to, like what we're doing right here, we're talking about how to start and scale businesses and, you know, asking me questions about something to do with commercial real estate. No, this is single family. I give you a software that helps you find opportunities. We teach you how to talk to people. We teach you how to analyze a deal and we teach you how to submit it to us. Mm. It is a deal partnership program designed to simply get you to go out and work for us to find opportunities and bring them back to me. And then we'll take it from there and help close the deals. And when we flip them to our cash buyer database, we'll split profits with you. It's an earn That's and huge. learn program. It's very simple, right? It's not mentorship. It's just a selfish way for me to scale my business. Yeah, but they're learning the entire stuff and learning. they're making money. They're learning and making money, which is beautiful. It's huge. I wish I had something like that. And we're giving them cutting edge tools and support and mentorship along the way just to simply do one lane, which is 
quick flipping real estate. How do we go find opportunities that are off market from distressed sellers, have conversations with them, lock the properties up and flip them to our cash buyer database. I have millions of cash buyers on my database. They're all hungry for good deals, but I can't work in every state because our team is only so big. Yeah. So in order to scale selfishly, I'm like, okay, let's just bring on a bunch of bird dogs and deal finders and do the coaching and training kind of as part of the program so we can actually make money on the real estate. Great program. So we decided, how are we going to kick off the year? And what's funny is, even if I'm saying to you, Drew, I'm going to give you the software. Drew, I'm going to give you the training. Drew, you're still going to overthink. You're still going to overanalyze. You're still going to get paralysis analysis. You're still going to go around and ask everybody their stupid opinion and get distracted. Wow. And, and whatever happens to where, for some odd reason, I hand you the golden goose and you can't even get a damn egg. And it's wild to me how many people just don't get a result because they get distracted or don't put in the work. And so we were like, okay, we're going to, we're going to stop all this over analysis stuff every day from 10 AM mountain standard time until two, we're going to go live on my YouTube channel and you're going to watch us close deals live. What better social proof than just taking my best team members in my internal team, a uh, guy named Max, he runs the program and him and one of our other team members sits there all day long on the phones, live streaming out, banging phones, talking to sellers while our students are submitting deals to us. We'll call the deal live and we'll work it right in front of everybody. What's happening is people are going, this isn't that damn complicated. If I just run the search in the software, skip trace, make the calls, do exactly what Max is doing right in front of me, I'm going to get properties under contract. Yeah, And so we're just proving to everybody through pure brute force and energy, we're going to go live every single day for the entire month. So if you go to the Clever Investor YouTube channel and you want to watch us from 10 till 2 Mountain Standard Time every, every single day, you want to interact with us. You want to submit opportunities to us. We have a, we, we set up a, a website called sendusthedeals.com. Anybody watching could literally have an opportunity, but they don't know what to do with it. Send the, but maybe they had one conversation with the seller or whatever. They can literally submit the information to us, submit the phone number to us. Max will call live, bang the phones, talk to the seller, work the deal. And if we get and make any money, you get paid. That's crazy. How nobody's, good is that? Nobody's doing that. Nobody's doing that. That's but we're, we're doing that because we just want to prove to everybody it's not that difficult. Yeah. This business is actually really simple. Dude, I love that. Yeah. And you're going to learn how to, how to, talk on the phones, which is 90% of well, the challenge everything. for new people is just what to say. It's everything. The first, when I, my first sales job, I took a course called the straight line of persuasion by, um, is that the, the, who, wolf? the wolf? Yeah. The wolf. Yeah. What's Jordan Belfort. Jordan, Jordan yeah. Belfort. Yeah. And, uh, it was all about tonality. So it was like, you get really quiet when you want to bring someone in, when you have something important to say. And then it was talking about how to end your sentences, like a question. And it yeah. sounds like a question. Yeah. So you raise and your all these raise your tonality, changing the pace. Whole thing, I think 80% of the course is on tonality. Was storytelling. Storytelling. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Reversals, so. takeaways, open loops. Dude, all you, that stuff. You start mastering the art of just sales persuasion and influence. And you realize it's it's first off, it's a ton of fun. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing to have as a skill set. You can use it with your kids. You can use it with your significant other. You could use it in your businesses. You can use it on a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And um, 
That's uh, great. But but when you watch somebody do it, you start to realize, God, I'm overcomplicating everything. I am actually, I've taken people who are not salespeople, kind of shy, older, and put them on the phones and just said, just ask these 10 questions. Stop being a pro. Stop trying to be slick. Don't talk that much. Just ask some questions and hear their responses and really try to connect with the people you're talking with. Mm. Be authentic, be intentional, be enthusiastic. Don't be a slickster. My first year, my first month in the car business, I was the number one salesman at Brown and Brown Nissan. Used cars. This is in 1997. Wow. Selling used cars, I look like I'm 12. This is, I just was getting out of college or uh, high school. And I'm sa- I got this. Did I saw jump- that photo? This is the Navy photo? No, no, it was young? before that. It was before I that? wasn't even in the Navy. Bro, I was in high school. Oh, man. And I'm selling cars. I, I might have even lied to get the job. I don't even remember if I told him how old I actually was. But like somehow I got this job selling used cars. My first month, I murdered it. Made like six or seven grand in commissions. It was the most. They had never seen somebody just come out of the gate swinging like that. And I thought I was the man. You know why people bought cars from me? Why is that? Because I had no freaking clue what I was doing. I looked like a non-threatening little kid trying to sell a car. The only thing I knew was about the vehicle. I wasn't good at sales. I wasn't good at talking. I was nervous. I was was imposter syndrome, like all the things. But I knew everything about the vehicle. I just studied all these used cars in our parking lot, and I knew everything about them. And I just, you know, and it was funny too, because I remember my first sale... There was this guy named Max, big, tall, black guy with halitosis and missing teeth. This little Filipino guy. Um, oh, what was his name? Max. And ugh, I can't remember. Um, but this Asian guy comes onto the lot. Both of them step back behind me and go, okay, Sperber, this one's yours. And I'm thinking, you're going to give me the lead? Like, let's go. And they're laughing the whole way as I'm walking up. And I turn around and they're just cracking up. I had no idea what I was walking into, but Asian people, when they go to buy a used car, they come with a stack of research. They know every number, everything. They are the hardest people to deal with because they want the best deal and their their culture is haggling. Their culture is negotiating and they come with research and they get the best deal and they drive everybody crazy. I didn't know this. And so I spent like six hours with this one guy just letting him kick the shit out of me. And I eventually got the deal. And I think I only made a couple hundred bucks, but I popped the cherry and I did my first deal. And That's I thought it was great. the greatest experience of my life. I had I, I didn't even think to think of it as a negative thing. Yeah, I was just pr- proud of myself that I got a deal. That's huge. Coming out of the gate swinging. What happens the second month in business? I yeah. tank. Yeah. Why? Because I start getting the confidence. I start getting slick. I start reading sales and persuasion books. I'm going out there and I'm trying to do all these new openers. And and I lost connection with the authenticity. Wow. And people felt that I started, instead of me standing back while they go, hey, Sperber, you want this one? I started running towards the person when they were trying to park their car, like every used car salesperson that you hate. Wow. And I totally bombed. And over the next two months, I, I failed miserably trying to be too slick. Damn. So. Dude, well, that. Um, that's, that's new investors for you. We all do that. We over talk well, and talk I, ourselves I right out of the deal. I just huge. I love that, that you mentioned that you knew everything about the car. Because when I really took off in the mortgage business, it wasn't because, I mean, I started declaring like I'm the best and I closed the most jumbo loans out of any other broker in the city. And it was like a declaration at the beginning. 
what I did was I started learning all of the products. And I was like, okay, if we can't go conventional, where else could we go? And nobody else had non-QM. So I was just like, dude, we could go with the bank statement program. We could go DSCR. We could go PNL. We could go no income. We could give them a HELOC. We could do all these different things. I could go hard money. I could. So I started researching private money investors and I got all of their guidelines and I started calling them and asking them what products do they offer. And before I knew it, I had an arsenal of backup plans so that if a client came to me, I'm asking questions and I'm like, I'll be honest with you, you don't fit into this mold, but I've got a couple other options for you. And I started getting the name of being like the mortgage messiah. You're the so solution. Speak, where I was, I was saving everybody's oh, dead I like deals. that. The mortgage messiah. Yeah. <laughs> True. <laughs> Drew, the mortgage messiah. I'm going to start calling They started calling me messiah. that in Sunny Isles because I was saving all the deals at the Armani Casa. Okay. And so I must have done nine or 10 deals at the Armani Casa. Then nobody else could get done. That nobody could else. That's a great, hey, do. what a great thing to be known as. Yeah. The guy that people go to when nothing else works. Yeah, I was saving. And I, I started getting upset because I'm like, dude, I'm getting all these shitty ass deals. All these people bring me these monstrosities and these problems. But I realized that you get paid to solve people's problems. It turned out to be the biggest blessing. Yeah. And the biggest problem, the biggest problems turn into the biggest paychecks. And thank God that's what paid for all of this. Damn. You know, what a great, what a great uh, way to end this podcast, dude. We we covered a lot of ground on this one. Um, First off, if they're in Miami and they want to rent a dope ass podcast studio, how do they get a hold of you? You can visit me online at www.themovemiami.com or you could... Check us out on Instagram at themove.miami. And my personal Instagram is Drew's the Move. Drew's the Move. Drew's the Move. And uh, my new Instagram is at official Cody Sperber. Uh, you know, we, we shifted away from the at clever investor. We'll talk about that on another podcast. Yeah, that's a whole nother. Um, at official Cody Sperber. Please come follow me if you're a fan of the podcast. If you listen to this podcast, I am no longer on personally on the at clever investor Instagram. I'm over at official Cody Sperber. Would love to have you um, come uh, just send me a DM. Just say, Hey, listen to the podcast. Uh, and then we, we start to build a relationship, something like that, but appreciate you, brother. Great, Thank bro. you for the awesome studio time. Absolutely, bro. I'm sure. You'll send me that bill. As soon as I cut this recording, <laughs> I'm happy to pay. Cause you're the man. Love you guys. Thank you for watching until next time. We're out of here. Take care. Come your hair. Peace. Hey, Cody Sperber, the original Clever Investor, host of the Clever Investor Show podcast. And I'm shooting this ad right now to let you know that this podcast exists. It's finally out and we have some amazing guests. So please, I'm begging you, can you just come and give our podcast a listen? I've been doing real estate for a really long time. I've accessed some of the coolest people in the world. We were having all these amazing conversations and I'm like, what are we doing? Let's record this and actually put it out on a podcast. But the problem is, I have to let people know about it. That's where this ad comes in and this is where you come in. You're gonna be able to learn from successful entrepreneurs, get in-depth interviews from amazing leading experts. You're gonna learn real estate investing strategies and tactical training strategies that work in today's market. We're going over market analysis and different market predictions. You're gonna be able to engage in an awesome community. And we go into some pretty deep dives on the mindset of what it takes to win the game of money and in life, plus lots of bonus resources and exclusive content. So what you're gonna wanna do right now is click the link that you see on your screen and give the show a subscribe Today, we have amazing guests like Ken McElroy and Robert Kiyosaki and Wes Watson and Pace Morby and Jamil Damji and Vina Jetty and a whole host of amazing men and women entrepreneurs that you're gonna love to learn from and get to know. So what you wanna do right now is click that link and give the show a subscribe today.